Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week, we're tackling Beverly Hills Cop, the 80s favourite that bled through into the 90s. With me, Alan Turing, as always, is Sol Harris. Hello. And our special guest host today is Gareth Allen. Hello. Hello, and Gareth, just to give you a quick introduction, Gareth's my brother, an older brother by a considerable amount, which is why he's here to represent the 80s. Um, considerable a considerable amount that's a little unfair (laughs) little bit of nepotism he's not made it here on merit like all the other guests (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah because usually (laughs) okay so Gareth just to uh, so just to intro you us uh, Beverly Hills Cop came out in what was it 85 hang on four I think 84 Four? 84. Okay, so I was born in 1984. Um, so that's all. So I was considerably <laughs> older than you then, by then. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are considerably <laughs> older than me. Don't, don't, get, don't try and get away with that. But I do remember, I guess, I, I couldn't tell you what year it was, but I do remember when I was at ah, just starting so high school, so probably 88, 89, that sort of year. I remember Eddie Murphy was the biggest thing, he was the funniest star in the world you know he was he was huge so I can remember watching films like these Beverly Hills Cop and Golden Child and all those kind of 80s films and he was he was brilliant watching these films again they've not aged all that well to be blunt but (laughs) you know the first two particularly they're still a lot funnier than you know his later output Ooh. Well, just to just to give you a bit of a just, just to mm. get of a bit of introduction to Gareth, my 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 film taste and other tastes that has been influenced by Gareth because, uh, like I say, because you stole all my DVDs. Nine... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> DVDs, videos, uh, um, and stuff like. It just made me think of it because you mentioned the Golden Child. The yeah. Golden Child is a classic, uh, nostalgia one for me, even though it was you know made you know, when I was a very small child. But that is one of my childhood films, and that must be from your influence. Um, and I think you're so old, you guys. This is really my, <laughs> like my equivalent. There is Good Burger, the Keenan and Kel like <laughs> spin-off. <laughs> but a lot of my musical tastes of, of of sort of indie bands from the early '90s, because that's when you were a teenager and you made mixtapes for me, yeah. <laughs> like gave us to yeah. an eight-year-old these mixtapes of like um, Sultans of Ping and Wonder Stuff. You don't stuff. like indie bands. <laughs> What are you talking about? What do I like then? You know, I the only time I've ever encountered you and music together was when you got really angry at me for calling the song its correct name, which is Two Princes, because you were adamant that it was called Two Princess by the Spin Doctors. <laughs> well, why do you think I've even heard of the Spin Doctors? <laughs> no, you're not hanging that on me. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Things like Beverly Hills Cop. Now, mm. to put that into context of Eddie Murphy's career, it was really early on. Beverly Hills Cop was like his third film or something. It was this was really still early Eddie Murphy because he he got famous through Saturday Night Live and then he did Forty Eight Hours, Trading Places, and that launched him as a, a movie star as well. Beverly Hills Cop, I think, made him more mainstream because. Uh, Trading Places was a comedy. This was a comedy, obviously, but it's an action film. It, I just think it was more widespread, and I might be wrong there. It's just sort of my I- interpretation of it. Then you had all the Saturday Night Live people, like you know, Eddie Murphy came from Saturday Night Live, but then there was you know there was Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase, and they were all making big films at that point. Bill Murray. 
but there is a bit of history of this that Beverly Hills Cop wasn't particularly conceived as a comedy. It was written as a... There's an often parroted sort of idea that it was written as a straight film. But well, it was rewritten as a straight film. My, my understanding, you probably know more of this, so I'll, I'll do mine and you correct it. <laughs> my understanding is it was written as a straight... Uh, sorry, people often say it was written as a straight vehicle with Sly Stallone in the lead, and then they cast Eddie Murphy, which turned it into a comedy. My understanding is it was actually written as a an action comedy force Sylvester Stallone to kind of break out and My God. do some comedy, which would explain why there are jokes written into the script that Eddie Murphy being cast wouldn't account for. My understanding is that it was originally just written as a as an action cop drama thing. I don't know how serious it was trying to be if it was just a sort of lightweight action. Then uh, it was rewritten. A new, a new script writer was brought on board to polish it up and it was rewritten with much more comedic ideas. Then Stallone was signed on. He rewrote it himself. Now, whether that actually means he rewrote it or not, um, but in, in terms of the... I mean, con- he, he does writing. It probably yeah. did. You know, he's, a, um, he's quite a prolific writer. Do you think he writes comedy though, Sol? <laughs> no, no, no. He didn't. No, he didn't write his comedy. But that's a that's an interesting story because basically he he wrote Rocky. Obviously, he's well known for that. Yeah. And made his career. But um, for example, he's the he's the credited writer on Fist, which he didn't actually rewrite or barely rewrote. Um, this is something okay. I read about in Joe Esterhaus's autobiography. So that was a, also obviously I'm getting Joe Esterhaus's story there. He wrote it, and then Sylvester Stallone demanded the writing credit even though he'd barely right. rewritten anything but that was anyway that was way back then but maybe he rewrote it but the basic concept is Stallone rewrote it much straighter much more action and much bigger much bigger stuff going on and they basically said the budget is not there and he dropped out like with two weeks before they were going to shoot Eddie Murphy comes in 12 days before they're going to shoot it they revert back to the more comedic script they had. And then obviously, as you see on screen, Eddie Murphy is just chucking stuff out. He's, He's doing his own his thing. Own, and that is kind of the secret chemistry that we find in Beverly Hills Cop. That's really interesting because it feels to me, watching them again, that it, it's basically a series of Eddie Murphy set piece sketches strung together yeah. with, loosely with a story. So that's that's quite interesting. So I guess the story already existed and, and then he just came and did his own thing. It, it feels like not quite improvised, but it feels like very, uh, well, very Eddie Murphy. Like he's just, you know, he's doing that on the hoof. Yeah, and you can tell there's ad-libbed lines that he's just dropping in. Can I get something out of my system before we carry on? Because it's, it's distracting me. Yeah? Do we sound the same? Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's Eddie Murphy Bond. <laughs> I'm Eddie Murphy Bond, Shrek! Shrek! Oh, right. Waffles, Shrek! <laughs> my girl parties all the time, Shrek! You've been desperate to do your Eddie Murphy impression, haven't you? <laughs> it's pitch perfect. It's, it's spot on. Okay, well... He's here in the room with me now. Eddie Murphy Bond is white, for the record, so this isn't racist. Okay, fine. Can't get me on that. I've been working on my Eddie Murphy laugh. Would you like to hear that? Go on. That sounds just like me, Shrek. Uh, you'll have to... Shrek, this guy's got a scared of death, Shrek. My girl parties all the time. <laughs> Homosexuals ain't allowed to look at my ass, Shrek. Are we sure this isn't <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think when can I ask when when um, when Stallone wrote this script? Do you think it was quite as homophobic? <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties. It was okay back then. 
And you know, that is, in all seriousness, if you watch uh, um, Eddie Murphy's live stand-up show, Delirious and Raw, yeah. I mean, they are pretty unwatchable <laughs> these days. And I, I, you know, I've got to admit, when I was 12 and 13, I thought they were hilarious. And well, I, uh, I still think they're hilarious, but definitely it's material that you just would not... Problematic. I'd, I'd say it's like like 70% of it holds up really well. Yeah. And then there's just kind of 30% where you're just like, oh, God. I have this nightmare that I go to Hollywood and find out that Mr. T is a faggot. <laughs> really? And he'd be walking up to people going, hey, boy. Hey, boy. You look mighty cute in them jeans. <laughs> I kid the homosexuals a lot because they're homosexuals. I, I fuck with everybody. I don't give a fuck. It's like, um, I don't mean anything by it. You can hang out with a gay person. You can, guys, don't feel, you know, like, alienate gay people because they're gay, because you can play tennis with a gay person. Really, just after the game, you say, I'm going to get a beer. What you going to do? Think I'll go suck somebody's dick. Well, I'll see you later. So, let's get into it, then. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Uh, it starts with the city montage of Detroit, as as does. Oh my God! What 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 a shithole! <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the worst place humans have ever existed. That's the impression they're trying to give you. Look at this. Look at this awful place where this. But that was it. Grown up. It's not just a, an eighties montage. It's it's of an eighties montage of of black Detroit. It's very much the sort of inner city crappy areas. It, it doesn't really come across. As intended, does it? I don't know. Look at how these people live! (laughs) Detroit in the 80s, my understanding, was a lot nicer than modern-day Detroit. I don't don't know about that. (laughs) Well, no, isn't Detroit kind of... Isn't modern Detroit really bad because of, like, unemployment and stuff that's, like, really hit it in the last... um, I think there's some real, like, issues with industries, like, closing down and moving away and... I think for the last 10 years or so, it's almost ghost town kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all car stuff. manufacturers in, in, in Detroit. The purpose here is to go, look, this is a shitty city that he works in because we're going to see Beverly Hills later. So yeah. Let's wait for that. I don't think that juxtaposition ever really comes across like it's meant to be. I, I kept forgetting that the joke yeah. of the film is that he's like a well, rough city cop in a I don't know, a he definitely... Hoity-toity. It's a culture clash film. I mean, that's the concept, isn't it? Yeah, rough, rough cop goes to fancy, ta- politically correct town. I kept forgetting that that was the, the the idea behind it when I was watching it. I had to keep reminding myself. Oh yeah, it's because he's the Detroit cop and he does things differently, and they do it by the book. Yeah, I, I kind of I liked that. I liked how it worked and that they they sort of clashed. But the the way they clash, the way that he clashes with the other police that he meets there, it's never very antagonistic and I think that's a very important thing of Axel Foley's character that he does respect these other police and and he works with them and they they find their common ground and everything like that and it's more Mm. of a culture clash rather than actually working against each other so you can play it for laughs Um, and I like that I like the tone it's set I like the balance and they sort of end up as friends at the end and all that sort of thing that worked for me it's a mutual respect Can, can we talk about the Detroit cops before we go to Beverly Hills because yeah. we get, as well as Axel, we've got the, and we've got a classic police captain. Where the fuck you been, Foley? Wait a second, look, I just thought that there was a problem. Don't think, Axel, it makes my dick itch. Yeah, he's ticking a lot of boxes for me. <laughs> well, actually, I, I, when I was watching this again, I was like, who is this guy? Because he doesn't seem like an actor. He's sort of like a bit mm. too kind of natural, but I've looked him up. Do you guys know who he is? 
No, no, not at all. He's well, basically, he's a he's a police officer from Detroit. Ah, these really? are the, these three films are the only acting he's ever done. Um, and he was like he was still working as a police officer at the time, although he was like a, in a desk job at that point. Um, so yeah, he was that guy. He says the only difference between me and this character is I don't swear as much. How did he? How did it come about? That he I have got... no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. That's an it? odd bit of casting, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Someone must have just known him, and it was like, oh well, we need a cheap, chief guy who's like shouts at everyone. Was he an LA, an LA cop? No, I think he's from Detroit. He didn't like pull over the producer with like a load of heroin <laughs> in his car. And... It was cocaine. It was the eighties. And be like, well, here's my headshot. You know, if uh, maybe we can make this all go away. You know, that's how it works in LA, and everyone's carrying headshots. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, ne- he he said he had other offers for acting and never took them up. He just concentrated on his police job. So these were the only films he did. Got cases to crack. That's odd. Because that if odd, you're going to do three films and out, I'm sure you could pick three better films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but maybe maybe he, he wasn't had that many options. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't getting cast in period dramas. So the film itself starts with like the we 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 establish Eddie Murphy's character uh, by seeing him. You know, in a classic sort of opening scene, we see him doing what he's, he's generally doing. So he's undercover, he's doing this job, and it all sort of goes tits He's a businessman. That, <laughs> that opening is fantastic as well. It, it just, it sets the tone so well. The comic timing and, like, the framing of, of that police car kind of... Yeah, just rolls. Overshooting it and then sort of awkwardly turning and driving very slowly... <laughs> down the alleyway towards them it's it's fantastic although the the actual truck chase itself left me a little bit kind of uh, i don't know it just seemed it didn't feel like it was edited like with great pace yeah. it just felt a bit lackluster and the music just felt like it had been arbitrarily chucked on top rather than sort of edited to to work it felt like um people who have no idea how to make an action movie being like shit we've got to chuck an action <laughs> yeah. scene in at the start just to establish it's an action comedy and the, the director is uh martin breast there's <laughs> nothing funny about that <laughs> uh, you know, hasn't hasn't made a lot of films, but he did Midnight Run, which is a comedy. He made Scent of a Woman, which Al Pacino won an Oscar for, and then Meet Joe Black, which is that. Um, <laughs> um, so he hasn't done a lot. His last film was Gili, so that <laughs> tells you where his career that was. A... Well, weirdly, he's sort of the least notable director to helm one of these films. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that. Then we go back with Eddie Murphy and he meets up with his old school friend who's like some low life sort of hoodlum. Can, can I just can I just talk about Eddie Murphy's uh, or Axel Foley's childhood because he's got some odd friends like <laughs> you know he's made it as a, as a cop uh, and he's got a mate here who's clearly a bit dodgy and then his other old friend from back in the day it runs an art gallery in Beverly Hills how did that happen? <laughs> yeah and <laughs> Yeah, they have a lovely little reminisce, and then he says, oh, I love you, man. And this guy could not be more dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this friend of his gets killed over some sort of dodgy crime business uh, by that bloke who's now we all know from Breaking Bad. So then, basically, that sets up the plot. Eddie Murphy has to go renegade because the chief won't let him investigate the crime, so he has to go investigate in his own time. The chief won't let him investigate the crime, so he has to go investigate in his own time. The chief won't let him 
investigate the crime, so he has to go investigate him in one time. And he has to go to Beverly Hills to do it. That's the setup. That's your start of the film. And he has to pretend he's not doing it. He has to keep a low profile, yeah. Yeah, so then a new city, new montage. Beverly Hills is so much nicer than Detroit. <laughs> and whiter. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of um, semi-naked ladies in that montage, and I, I think just in case we hadn't made it very clear, we can't stress enough that Eddie Murphy is heterosexual. <laughs> you can I did die jokes about homosexuals about a couple years ago, and faggots were mad. They were like, and they were. It's nothing like having a nation of fags looking for you. I'd be at parties. There's always two or three homosexuals at a party. And they'd be standing around looking at you. They'd be looking at you. He's an asshole. Let's make that very clear here and now. It just it seemed a little overt to me. So we watched we watched True Romance um, yeah. the other week, featuring a scene-stealing uh, character of Bronson Pinchot. And here we have him Which again. Uh, he's the he was the you know the the film producer's uh, aide. Wait, that's. What, he plays Serge? Yeah, he's Serge. Is he? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Another scene-stealing role. Yeah, I mean, he he's the one guy in this film who kind of takes Eddie Murphy on and, and yeah. arguably um, overshadows him, frankly. <laughs> like, he, like, really improv-heavy. You can tell they're oh, both yeah, just, yeah, yeah. like, completely uh, riffing off each other. And I think most actors would be a bit intimidated by, you know... <laughs> Eddie Murphy's kind of quick talking like this and really loud, and he, you know, doesn't stop talking. And then Serge just just goes with it. You know, Go and do a Serge impression as well. No, sir. I will not shut the fuck up. All yes. that sort of stuff. <laughs> it's basically the same impression for both of them. Shut the fuck up! I know I cannot shut the fuck up. Get the it's fuck true. out of here! Yeah. So basically, the whole thing is he's funny because he's got a funny voice. <laughs> that, what more do you want? It was the 80s. It was all right. It was fine. <laughs> he does... No, the way they spar off each other works really well as well as just a funny accent. We we establish here Eddie Murphy's old school friend, this woman who works in the art gallery. And I say this woman because I can't remember her character name. Um, and I think that's important because she kind of gets lost in the plot here and she's very significant in it. And in fact, she's like, no, I want to go along. I want to tag along. And, and she's she doesn't just sort of help him out and then gone. She's really involved in the plot and just somehow gets lost. The character's not big enough, or or uh, the way it's played. Or that's a common theme with all three of these films. There's a sort of uh, a sort of helpless woman with no agency who who just bumbles along in the plot. Well, the thing is, I don't I don't think she's helpless. She's kind of really like he's like trying to get her to like leave it, and she's like, no, I'm coming with you. I'm gonna get stuck in. But then she's there and doesn't do anything. It's, so it's pointless having her there. And I do know that in the Stallone. Uh, version it was a love interest um and i do really like that they don't have that they just don't bother put, trying to put a love subplot into it i i, I agree I, I was surprised i was surprised that that, that didn't happen and and it, it got me thinking well actually there's not there's no love interest at all in this in this film i don't think you would have a white woman love interest for eddie murphy in 1984 i don't i just don't think that hollywood would do that they gave him a love interest in the third one and she's black there will there are film Major film produce, uh, producers now who would just not allow that. They're like, no, it won't play in the Midwest or whatever. Like, yeah. But what what race was Eddie Murphy's love interest in Coming to America? I can't remember. Black. She was black. She's African American. Okay. What other films has he even had a love interest in? 
Nutty Professor, was she black in that? Yeah, they're all they're all black. It's always black. What about Meet Dave? Isn't it Elizabeth Banks and Meet Dave? Who does the voice of Mrs. Shrek? <laughs> it's, a, it's a dragon. Shrek! <laughs> Shrek! I'm in love with a dragon, Shrek! Is that well well there you go, that's a that's a mixed race relationship. Shrek! <laughs> I fucked this dragon, Shrek! <laughs> Is that an outtake? So we, we now establish our villain, the main big bad. Big bad wolf, Shrek! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and very classic 80s uh, British villain in an American film. There's a brief little head-to-head between them. And then he has Eddie Murphy thrown out of the building. And I love it because they literally <laughs> just march him out and then throw him through a plate glass window. And then Why did he in- do that? Why did <laughs> he do that? There's no need for that. Talk about drawing attention to him. Well, yeah. And then they've got to, like, you know, phone up the repair guy to come and install a new window, pay for it. It's ridiculous. Glass everywhere. And, and oh yeah, and he does the bit when he's checking into the hotel. He, he has a little rant there. But this is what really works for me about uh, the character that he's, you know, he's a, he's a character actor and he's a, he's a con man. And he, he just, he goes into a situation and sort of sums it up immediately. And then like, right, what, what do I need to play here to get what I want? And it just gives Eddie Murphy so much opportunity to mess about, to collect but, but you know, to do... they're the they're the funny bits of the film. They're the bits I remember from thirty years ago, and yeah. and you know the story is almost incidental, really, because it's because it's an Eddie Murphy vehicle. That's why I like it. <laughs> well, c- can we talk about Taggart and Rosewood? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, so we we classic comedy sidekicks. We established the other side of this uh, comedy setup. Yeah, the the Beverly Hills cops who are kind of stuffed white shirts. Judge Reinhold. Yeah, Judge Reinhold. Can I talk about Judge Reinhold? Because I loved Judge Reinhold. Really? What, what else has he done? Well, well, this is the point. So he was, <laughs> like, after the Beverly Hills Cop and the second one, he was, he was a massive star. And the biggest thing he was really in was um, Vice Versa, which was a, a remake of Freaky Friday. <laughs> Where he swaps bodies. Oh, God. And he, you know, he was, he was, he was going to be a big star, and it never really happened. So I, 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 I did a little bit of research, and apparently, apparently, it was just a nightmare to work with. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, he's got a great name. Well, he doesn't come across as a great actor here. Um, I mean, I know him. I know, I know him from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's sort of what he was famous for. But um, yeah, I don't think of a singing as. I know him from five seconds on Arrested Development. Well, it looks like we've got a mistrial. But on the plus side, we've also got a hung jury. Hit it! All rise for acting's highest honor, Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold is neither a real judge nor has he received acting's highest honor. <laughs> Um, I'm just looking. I was just looking at his CV, and there's a there's an episode of the Clerks TV series in 2000 in which he plays the Honorable Judge Reinhold. Um, Brilliant. Which is seems to be an episode that was a courtroom drama one. So that joke had obviously been done before <laughs> the rest of development. Did it. Has the jury reached a verdict? Hold it! Really? I need your help, man. All right, Axel. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're all out of bananas. Axel, don't go. Honey, wake up. 
What? Oh, I had that dream again. I'm <laughs> rapidly amending my sequel pitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the other guy who plays the, the other cop is John Ashton. Again, never really seen him in anything else. He's one of those jobbing actors that turns up in things. Um, but as a duo... They work. Judge Reinhold plays like Rosewood is the sort of slightly more naive, wide-eyed one who's like really impressed by Axel Foley. Taggart is more cynical, world-weary. So it works. It's a nice little duo. They play off each other. It's all right, isn't it? Why do you why do you keep saying duo <laughs> with a J? <laughs> uh, so, why is he called Taggart? What's that about? <laughs> What came first? There's been a mad duck. This or the Scottish one? Uh, I don't know, actually. I'm pretty sure the writers weren't watching the BBC. <laughs> yeah, and then he, take, he takes uh, Taggart and Rosewood to the strip club because, again, I can't emphasize this enough, he likes girls. So, and I can't believe we haven't met before, but I'm a huge fan. And I'm a huge fan of yours. I think what? you're so funny oh. for years and years and sweet and sexy and oh. funny oh, and the whole thing. I have, a, uh, I have a, a, a funny, funny girl fetish. When women are funny, that that's really that's sexy to me. You oh. and who's a girl on Saturday Night like Maya Rudolph? She's uh-huh. sexy. Yeah. And Lucy, uh-huh. Lucy. But when I was a kid, I used to watch Lucy with her. I yeah. Her. <laughs> I said, yeah, I love Lucy too. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh-huh. I have you singing Baba Lou, Lucy. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 and immediately spots a couple of chaps there who uh, just, just coincidentally had just gone there to uh, shoot up the strip club um, just at yeah. the time they were going to have a drink. I don't know why, but okay, that's fine. It gives it, it, it makes uh, them respect each other. Taggart now respects him. Blah, blah, blah. Then there's a big shootout. <laughs> there's a massive shootout at the end, which even that is sort of peppered with a few gags here and there, you know? It's your classic 80s cop movie ending. (laughs) I really like this film. (laughs) I really like the film and I just keep remembering remembering bits and going, oh, that was good. (laughs) I think I would like to watch you sat watching the film with headphones in so you just get a... (laughs) 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 I'd enjoy that. (laughs) Um, I think it just sort of... <laughs> Tickles me in the right way. <laughs> um, I like. What is that about? Is that how Eddie Murphy actually laughs? Or I guess so. It's definitely. I guess it must be. It's not just this film that he does it. So are you sure? Because they they make a big thing out of it in this film, and like some characters even sort of acknowledge that it's a weird laugh. So I could completely believe it was like a weird character trait he developed for the part <laughs> no that's how he laughs that's how he laughs in all his films and i think yeah. i think if, I, okay. if i'm remembering rightly on the on the raw and delirious as well which is <laughs> <laughs> you're doing more of a fat albert <laughs> <laughs> is that one of his 90s films <laughs> <laughs> he managed to uh he did get a richard Pryor impression in there at one point as well he likes doing that uh, one of his little characters that he took on. I like doing impressions, Rick. <laughs> it's amazing he didn't put on a prosthetic face and uh, play a, an old Chinese man at any point, really. <laughs> well, <laughs> do you think he could do Japanese bone stall? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, no, no, 
the beauty of Japanese Bond is that he's um, Scottish. He, he walks the line between two cultures. You know, he's he's there's nuance to him. He's, he's a bit Scottish. He's a bit Japanese. It's a very subtle humour. He doesn't he doesn't get it. Eddie Murphy Bond gets it. <laughs> Why is it Eddie Murphy Bond when it's actually Donkey Bond? <laughs> okay. Can we, can, we, can we get Eddie Murphy Bond to do an impression of Japanese Bond to see what comes out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, Gazaa Gazaa Shrek! Quite pleased with that. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I wasn't expecting to hear the words, I was quite pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, like, my, my comedy is not, um, not as well thought through as, as Eddie Murphy's, all right? I know when he went up on stage, he'd been working on that set for, for a while. For me, it's all about living in the moment. you just got to point yourself in a direction and, and hope something comes out. <laughs> Can we do Eddie Murphy jokes about that? I, I said, like, something about him shagging Mel B or something. <laughs> How many kids has Eddie Murphy got with different women? It's quite a lot, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine being Eddie Murphy's kid. <laughs> what a life that'd be. Whoa. He's got nine children. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> no wonder he has to keep doing those films. <laughs> There's a lot of child support. Mel Brown. Oh, he had a kid with her. Oh well, yeah. Well, he didn't accept that for several years, but yeah. I was at it. <laughs> I couldn't remember what it was. I knew there was some messy tabloid. The DNA stuff test there. had to to be taken, but yeah. Shrek, it's not my Shrek. It looks more like a dragon to me, Shrek. <laughs> okay, so first film. Shall we do ratings? Anything else you want to say? No. So. Haunted Mansion, Shrek. I was in the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> Just saying Shrek after every sentence doesn't, doesn't make it work. Well, it's a good signpost, so we know what you're doing. I, I have one, one, one last question on this film. Oh, yeah? What would really happen if you put a banana in the exhaust of a car? Um, I, I don't really know about cars, but would it stall immediately? I mean, you're, if your exhaust is blocked, you, the gases can't escape. I think it would back up pretty quickly, yeah. I don't know how. Okay. I don't know if it would be a matter of seconds, but I bet it wouldn't take long. Yeah, I think, I think you'd get partway down the road first especially spe- i mean it depends how big a banana it is i just like, thought it was an incredibly effective uh, disabling technique well it's meant to be like a potato isn't it because that can actually like fit over the exhaust and it's airtight whereas yeah. a banana you'd, you'd there'd be like space for the gas to fit around wouldn't it depends on the size of your banana i'm gonna i'm gonna just go out and say it. i gave this film a nine out of ten i loved it what wow. <laughs> i know I was surprised as well. I think in my memory, I probably would have given it a nine, but I've, I've said seven. I don't know. It's just the the tone of humour is just exactly right for me. 80s Eddie Murphy works for me perfectly. The action was just enough. So I'd seen this film a number of times before, but I think I'd always just kind of watched it in pieces on TV. It's not, It used to be on TV a lot. I don't know if it still is. I think this was the first time I'd really ever sat down to watch it properly. And... It it's a really good film. Like it really it it holds up so well. I think it's one of the the real crown jewels of eighties comedies. Um, I'd put it right up there with things like Ghostbusters and uh, uh, what's another one? <laughs> Golden Child. <laughs> <laughs> it was 
better than I remembered it being because I was properly giving it my full attention and appreciating how well directed it was and how everything was complementing the humour and... Well, stop burying the lead. Tell us what you gave it. (laughs) There's more to it than just Steady Murphy. So um, I bumped my score up, actually, from a 7 to an 8. I'm genuinely surprised that I gave this the lowest mark. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you two would just think it was rubbish. <laughs> we're, we're very difficult to predict sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an excellent comedy. I'm pleased you enjoyed it, but I'm surprised. But 80s Eddie Murphy is a bit, to me, like early 2000s Vince Vaughn. Uh, <laughs> uh, High praise. Adam I... Sandler. It's a bit, it just gets me. If we're comparing Eddie Murphy to Vince Vaughn, then this is his swingers, you know? It's, it's him making a good, legitimately good film early on in his career, it, it, before he sold out, <laughs> basically. This is... <laughs> I'll stand by it. I, I, I think this is a great little film. We haven't touched on the music. Should we mention that quickly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Well, the music is classic 80s, isn't it? This is perfect. This is exactly the right sort of music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 80s, yeah. It's one of the truly iconic movie themes, I'd say, honestly. Well, has the crazy frog done the Star Wars theme? No. There you go. What's going on? <laughs> Alan, do a crazy frog impression. <laughs> bah, bah. That, that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> it's a precursor to the minions, I've just realised. <laughs> oh, um, I'm just reading here. Basically, Harold Faltermeyer was a you know a music producer and composer. You know, that's pretty much what he does. But it says here that his Axel F theme, he called it uh, the banana theme. The banana so, and the tailpipe. There thing. you go. Shall we move on to Beverly Hills Cop 2? Let's. If we have to. Oh, that sounds ominous. <laughs> okay. Uh, we do have to, actually, yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is a few years later. They bring in uh, Tony Scott. Uh, hot Tony Scott. Had like my dragon, Shrek. <laughs> she beats fire, Shrek. <laughs> I've run out of Shrek <laughs> quotes, so I'm just, uh, I'm just riffing. <laughs> I remember he's with a dragon. Uh, the print, no, the king was short. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Tony Scott's direction in the second film. It, it, I'm an ogre! <laughs> that's not even relevant. You didn't even do that last week when we were doing Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 2. Tony Scott comes in to direct, and it is immediately much darker, like in cinematography, it's darker, but also just in the tone of it. It's not as funny. How did you guys feel about it? It feels like it's more violent. I'd never seen either of the sequels before. I'd sort of been meaning to watch them for ages, because I, I always thought, like, yeah, it's probably not as good as the first, but I bet it's good fun, just, you know, easy easy watching. Um, no. <laughs> no, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my, in my memory, now, I, I've never really seen Beverly Hills Cop 3 before, so in my memory, 1 and 2 are very close to each other. And I've got to be honest with you, when I was watching the first one, I was surprised that Bridget Nielsen wasn't in it. Where the hell's Bridget Nielsen? <laughs> okay. So in my memory, they were basically the same thing. But, okay. I, but yes, I totally agree. There's a, real, there's a real 
different feel to this film. It felt as if they'd heard that the first film was intended as a straight action movie, and then they cast Eddie Murphy, and that made it funny. And they thought, all right, we'll just make a straight, really bland, generic action movie again, and Eddie Murphy will make it funny. And, and then he didn't. It didn't work. <laughs> he, yeah, he didn't work. because that's not why the first one was funny, because, you know, they actually tried to make it into a comedy. And there's there's a handful of incredibly cringy scenes in this, uh, there aren't many at the start, but towards the end, it's like they re- like the rushes were coming in, and Tony Scott was like, "Guys, why isn't it funny?" Uh, and they started thinking, "Right, we better add some scenes where Eddie Murphy improvises his yeah. way into like a room or a, a diner or a function or something," and they just don't work. Yeah, those those little set pieces that we that we talked about before, where where, where the, the film is hung on, they're just not as good. They're just not as funny. Desperate. They feel like desperate callbacks to a to the first film, a better film. And apparently Axel and Bogomel are like fishing buddies now. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Like the stakes are raised. The stakes are raised because Bogomil's been shot and Axel's furious because this guy who he met once and hated, but then hated a bit less by the end, has been shot. I hated the broad premise of this film because it feels so unbearably like a sequel and like an old sequel. I, I, I truly believe that Hollywood has got its head around how to make sequels a lot more in modern times compared to what it used to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's such a machine now that sequels, I think, just tend to be a lot better on average. Whereas in the olden days, they, they were, you know... It was a really remake. ...contrived premises to to rehash the same thing again. And that's what this is. It bends over backwards to get him back to, to Beverly Hills and get these same characters he was thrown into a situation with, like, working alongside him again. And it doesn't work, because, like, this should have just been a film with Axel Foley going somewhere else. He should have gone to Prague or something, I don't know. Like, it doesn't have yeah. to be in Beverly yeah. Hills to work. that would have been the thing to do, yeah. Axel Foley in a completely new environment. What about, what about the bad guys in this? I mean, I was grumbling about Burkhoff, but in this film we've got Dean Stockwell, Bridget Nielsen and Jürgen Prochnow. What a team. <laughs> well, that's it. It doesn't quite work, does it? I mean... Can we talk about Bridget Nielsen? Because she made quite an impression on me in my teenage years. <laughs> you know, I, I've spoken to a few, um, dare I say, older gentlemen. Steady. Um, and they all seem to really love this second film. But it, it seems to be purely out of nostalgia. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not very happy with the character development of uh, of Billy. You know, he's turned from oh, yeah. um, from a sort of wide-eyed innocent into a psychopath. I like Billy Ghost Gruff, personally, Shrek. It, it's sort of cute that he's got all these weapons, but he's he's just he's just a, he's a dangerous individual. He shouldn't he shouldn't have a <laughs> he shouldn't have a police badge. He shouldn't even be uh, out in public. You know, it's to be in a <laughs> medical prison. There's no attempt to make it work with the previous character or, or explain that he's changed in some way. Or I'll tell you about changing Shrek. Change from an ogre into a human being, Shrek. True love's kiss, Shrek. That's how you change. I'm a, no- I'm a noble steed. I'm a noble steed, Shrek. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about okay. Let's talk about the the alphabet crimes because I I still I'm still not entirely clear on what the plan was here. Was the motive to cover up for the the insurance job at the end? Yeah. Like we're gonna commit we're gonna commit these five or six random crimes just to cover up that it's an inside job on the seventh one. Basically, that's what it was, yeah. Which... Also, when they shot Bogomil, okay, when they shot Bogomil and they're talking about it, they said that, oh, these guys are already investigating the alphabet crimes. How are they investigating the alphabet crimes when there's only been an A? <laughs> <laughs> All that we're focusing on is Axel Foley, who straight away zooms in on the main bad guy 
and is like, okay, he's something going on here. So we don't even get the wild goose chase element of it to then have a bit of a reveal later on. We all love a wild goose chase from time to time. Wild golden goose chase. Climb up that stalk, you come down with a nice big golden goose egg. Doesn't he find... <laughs> is, it this, is it this film where he I finds use it? I use a golden goose egg to make me some golden waffles. Okay. So, did you actually <laughs> watch this film, Saul? So <laughs> do, do you want my input regarding this film? Just looking yeah, at my go notes. On. <laughs> Ding on, dong. Oh no! It's Gilbert Gottfried Bond! I, I pay my tickets. I pay, I pay all my tickets. Sir, do you own a black Mercedes-Benz license plate number CRL 507? 507? That's my wife's car. That's not my car. That's my wife's car. Yeah, I mean, tickets. it's under my name, but it's my wife's car. No, no, no. Bitch! Tickets have not been paid. That means you're liable. Can you cuff Mr. Bernstein, please? Cuff me? Mr. There are Bern- people out there with chainsaws. You're cuffing me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give it to him. That's probably the highlight of the film. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, give Eddie Murphy someone who can actually like go toe-to-toe with him. And, but that's know, not like... even what happens. It's not, it's not like Surge, where they're like interacting. <laughs> Eddie Murphy just kind of stands in the corner and like has a cigarette <laughs> break whilst Gilbert Gottfried shouts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, that's all I've really got to say. I, I was blown away with how bad this film was. I, I didn't expect it to be this bad. I gave it a five. So I was expecting like a, a six at worst a five. This is a three from me. It's <laughs> abysmal. Everyone in, involved should be ashamed with themselves. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, currently it stands as one of Eddie Murphy's worst films that I've seen, which is saying something. That is saying something. I, I have seen Meet Dave. <laughs> so, Shrek! I can only say a thousand words, then I can't speak no more, Shrek. <laughs> uh, Gareth? I would give it a six. But I think five of those marks are for Bridget Nielsen. I like my women a bit more chunky than that. Nice flaming hot chunky dragons. <laughs> we jump forward a few years um, to 1994, ten years after the original film came out, mm. um, for Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yes, uh, directed by convicted manslaughterer John Landis. <laughs> um John Landis. Can we have a conversation about John Landis? I, could, yeah. I couldn't believe this was directed by John Landis when I looked it up. I, I couldn't... I, I, I mean, let me put my cards on the table here. This is terrible. Yeah. And, you know, I have happy memories of John Landis. Again, f- a little bit earlier than this. I, I can't believe he made this film. Well, I think John Landis is generally overrated. I, like, even his good films, I'm not that fussed by. Trading Places, mm. I like... Coming to America, I like, but I think that's more to do with Eddie Murphy than the direction, particularly. I think An American Werewolf in London is a an incredible piece of work. Um, I'm very well directed, yeah. actually, but I must admit... I See, I've never been that bothered by it. And you've got your likes of Animal House and the Blues Brothers that yeah. never quite stuck uh, with me. Not that they're bad films or anything, but... Most of his filmography, from what I've seen, is is very pedestrian. And just kind of plainly directed, and yeah, I mean that's more his latter stuff. To be fair, so I don't know. Maybe he just kind of gave up when everyone hated him after he killed those kids. But um... <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that he like was convicted of manslaughter pretty much killed his career. I I, I don't think we can overstate how when was bad that the then? impact that had on his career. Well, nineteen eighty was when they were doing Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone was eighty three, but. There was it was quite a prolonged legal thing before 
Yeah. He was convicted of anything. And you know well, what? Is it? I mean, is it the director's fault? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think if if someone is killed in a in a stunt gone wrong, isn't that on the producer and the stunt people? Well, the who stunt were meant to coordinator has got. Yeah. It, that that's their responsibility. A director is not going. Oh, I think those ropes should be a bit tighter or whatever. Like, it's not his responsibility. It's not his job. Yeah. He's not gonna unless that was the point of the court case was that well, he was I think like, it probably was. fuck yeah. you, stunt coordinator can piss off, we're doing this shot now, whether you like yeah. it or not. I uh, don't care about your safety concerns. Do it or you're fired. One of those kind of yeah. situations, yeah. Yeah, so what John Landis said they'd, they'd fallen out after coming to America because Eddie Murphy was an arsehole, and then this was like their reunion thing, and yeah, it's awful. It's terrible. It is, yeah. it is awful. I mean, I mean, I'll come out and say it, I think this is a huge improvement over the second one. God, okay. huge, soul. huge do improvement. Want, do you want us to explain why you're wrong, or do you want to do your bit first? <laughs> well, go on. What, what's so bad about it compared? The second one is like just boring. None of it is funny, remotely funny. Bits of it, like very little of the second one, even feels like it's trying to be funny. But then when it does try to be funny, it's painful. Um, the plot is just the most bland, uninteresting, boring shit rehashing the first film. This it's one... a boring plot, but at least there is a plot where this one does not attempt mm. to do anything. It's it's mm. I don't it's know. so I... it's so low energy. No, it's... I don't know about that. I mean you can you can tell they spent all their money on building this theme park, so they want to get their, you know, worth <laughs> out of it. Oh god, that, that scene where he rescues the kids from the ride. That's oh, great. that lasted about twenty five minutes. That is a great scene. I was going to point to it. It was terrible. No, it's not. No, it's awful. Like, you're watching. I, I can only assume that's a real stuntman jumping from like carriage to carriage for real. There are shots in that that are amazing. Well, yeah, it must be because it when you can see Eddie Murphy, it's obviously and a green then, screen. Yeah, cut to Eddie Murphy in front of a fake yeah, sky yeah. on a thing. Really badly shot stuff. And. Yeah, too long with no gags. That's the main problem. There's no, there's, it's not funny. It's a, st- it's an action set. Piece. Well, yeah, but I got used to that in the second film. That was the second one's ninety minutes with no gags, so I was used to it. So I was just enjoying the third one as a straight action scene. I genuinely, I think that scene on the merry-go-round thing is like up in the sky is a really great action scene. It's, it's yeah, obviously it's a stuntman and not Eddie Murphy, but it, there's some really great low-key action there, and that the fact that it isn't like. A massive deal. You're just watching this guy doing this, these perilous bits of jumping up high. It... And it didn't actually affect the plot because I thought, well, at the end of this, he's now a hero, and they'll they'll all have to listen to him. And they didn't. They just, you know, they whisked him off, and he was a prisoner yeah, again. That's true. That, that was. Yeah, stupid, nothing. Yeah. I like honestly. There's actually jokes in this third one, and there weren't jokes in the second one. There's just little gags that feel feel like John Landis touches, honestly. Just just things like the you know, there's that bit when a costume character like covers the kids' eyes when they're all watching something and just little yeah. touches like that that are comedic little details. And I'm not saying they're hilarious, but they they give the film a sense of comedy that's just completely lacking from the second one. I think that's a huge part. There's a warmth to the third one that isn't present in the second one. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not as dark as the second, but it's just not. It's just no good. It felt to me like a kids' film. It was like a kids' comedy, and then occasionally it would say, "You know, you useless motherfucker" under his breath, and I'm like, oh, oh, it's not a kids' film. Yeah, yeah. Well, another thing, John Ashton apparently didn't want to come back and do the third film or whatever. He wasn't available. Is that Taggart? Yeah. Donkey. Made... There's been they... a murder. John Landis <laughs> done a murder of donkey. <laughs> <laughs> You know what else John Landis did that's really bad? Go on. He sired Max Landis. <laughs> yeah. 
Like the, okay, so the the scene with Serge, when now he's now he's gone from running an art gallery to running a gun show. Yeah, obviously that was. I mean, it was terrible, but it, it but it also went on three times too long. It just kept going. But th- literally in this film, they they sh- they shoot at him and try and shoot him with a to kill him in the middle of a family fun park in the middle of de- like what if they'd actually hit him? Then they sort of drag off his twitching corpse. What like yeah, and, what? And, they say it's a parade. The Fungineers are trying out something new. <laughs> like the there's so many points where he can just sort of flash his badge and go, "Okay, look, I'm I'm arresting you for trying to shoot me, <laughs> right or whatever." Like he, it's like he's forgotten that he's a policeman and and that he's like having to run away and and hide and stuff like that. And, and as we know, all the security team are well, they all look suspiciously like stuntmen. Um, but uh, you know, but they're all definitely on the bad guys' side. So, and they all run around the park at night shooting people. Fortunately, um, Axel finds one of those bulletproof benches to hide behind while they. Oh yeah, <laughs> I noticed that one. Yeah. Guns. <laughs> that that, yeah, I mean, that, that scene that where funny. he has the he has the the crazy big gun that Serge gave him. Yeah. That is that is a painful scene. So defend <laughs> that scene. Come on. <laughs> He doesn't know which band to press, Shrek. <laughs> Much hilarity as the music plays and the guy waits rather than shoots him because it's quite a funny moment. Well, it's like, if you're going to do that, have three distinct comedy things. Not one, and then one that's basically the same. It's just playing <laughs> yeah. the radio. Oh, it's another song. song. And then, yeah. Yeah, but... I needed like a, a pop tart to come out of it. Yeah, exactly. That would have been... There we go. In Within seconds, you've just come up with something better than what they did. Ding dong. Ding dong. Oh. <laughs> Hello, it's me, George Lucas Bond. <laughs> what a great cameo. What an asshole. Oh, he's just gone. <laughs> I was in Mulan. <laughs> Is there anything else? I mean, I just thought it was awful. You know? I thought it was dreadful. Oh, just on, on, the, on this theme of, uh, of the Malbian psychopaths, the, the very final scene, they've, just, they've managed to shoot all the bad guys. They're all laying dead on the floor, bleeding out. And, um, and we get the, the light-hearted score... And then they just start laughing, laughing like fuck. <laughs> well, it is an Eddie Murphy movie. You can't help yourself. Your sides will split when you watch Beverly Hills Cop 3 in the cinema. <laughs> and you got Judge Reinhold's character, like, literally been shot with a machine gun several times. Yeah. And he's just sort of bleeding out. That's hilarious. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so ratings then? So you go first and so you're going to be wrong. I, I stand by it. I think this is a, a huge, huge improvement over the second one, but then I thought the second one was indefensibly awful. Um, so for this one, I, I give it a 5 out of 10. It's kind of the level I thought the second one was going to hit, and it didn't. Well, I've gone the opposite way, really. I thought this one was indefensible. I give this a, a 2 out of 10. Yeah, I gave it a 2 as well. And I, I, I honestly, I'm sitting here thinking, what were the two marks for? And I can't really think what, <laughs> why it gets 2, but... Anything less would probably take the piss. So two. Hey, Eddie Murphy, don't get out of bed for less than two, man. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Pluto Nash. So, yeah. I mean, Beverly Hills Cop 3 was not the career reinvention that Eddie Murphy was looking for. But a couple of years later, he did The Nutty Professor, and that was uh, the career reinvention um, as a sort of more family-friendly, I'll play six parts, thanks... Kind of uh Oh Sherman, game. Sherman Clump. Oh buddy love, I'm Grant Granny Granny Clump. I'm Granny 
<laughs> oh, Papa Clump. Oh, my little Hercules. Hercules. <laughs> Have you never seen the clumps, Gary? No, I tell you, I'm, 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 I'm looking, I'm scrolling up um, Eddie Murphy's IMDb page at the moment. <laughs> and after Beverly Hills Cop 3, the only films of his I've seen are the Shrek films. <laughs> I've literally seen none of those 90s films at all. The Naughty Professor ones are um, a, 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 a feast to watch because he is playing like seven characters. He plays the yeah, entire but, family. It's bizarre. I imagine that, uh, you know, uh, Gareth reviews films he hasn't seen. They're, 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 not, they're just family comedies, aren't they? That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, the, that's my problem with Beverly Hills Cop 3. It's trying to be a family comedy, but it's, it's just not quite making it. I was asking that, Manita, for dream girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were. The man got pipes on him. I got pipes. I can sing. <laughs> I'm a singing talking donkey. Beverly Hills Cop has had a lot of talk of sequels. And in fact, theoretically, there is a Beverly Hills Cop 4 coming out. But also when I looked into it, they've been, they've been saying that for several years. But it was like the last thing I could find was from like a year ago where they're going, oh, yeah, we're ready to go into production. It's going to be made. Well, I was looking into his Shrek. And I think actually you'll find they've made 90,210 Beverly Hills cops. Because the top result, you you type Beverly Hills in there, what's the top one that comes up? Yeah, that's something else. (laughs) The Beverly Hills Chihuahua. That was (laughs) an unofficial sequel. Uh, But there was was a TV, well, an attempt at a TV series, which transpired to be essentially a TV movie because it never went anywhere. Well, this this is something I... Yeah, I I knew that they were working on this four slash TV series for forever, and I didn't realize until a few hours ago, looking it up, that the pilot got shot a few years ago. Ah, I'm hastily rewriting my sequel pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Again, continuing the uh, tradition of more notable directors than the first film, Barry Sonnenfeld directed it. Yeah. Well, the concept is that it's his son is the sort of focus of it. I think. Oh, I got a whole load of children. uh, So, uh, the Beverly Hills Cop TV show was following the sun. Eddie Murphy was just going to be in the pilot to sort of set it up. Uh, But they wanted him in regularly. He wasn't committing to it. Okay, so, sequel ideas. I mean, my immediate idea was something we actually sort of mentioned earlier, but Axel Foley's youth. So I think a prequel would be the best thing to do. You have to get a younger person in to play the character. So who are we going to get to play young Shrek? Shrek is not in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's because, like Gareth said earlier, there's, there's must be such an interesting childhood he had, the sort of weird people. And we Growing know up as a talking a a, donkey, I mean, that can't be easy for nobody. He was a bit of a tearaway before he, he joined the police. So basically the story, it could be the story of how he kind of gets into crime and sort of has a moral quandary and turn around and sort of decide he's going to go the route of justice and probably because a friend of his gets killed by a bad guy and he wants to chase the bad guy and then so he, he ends up joining the police so i think that would be a really good story are we gonna have his, are we gonna have his friends the the, the small time crook and the art gallery woman in there as well yeah and so he meets her she works at a coffee shop or something do you think she saves him do you think meet she, her she brings him out of the ghetto yeah I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that a prequel's the way to go just yet. Like, has Eddie Murphy retired or something? Didn't he say he was basically done with films? Well, he hasn't made much recently. I'm, I seem to remember that thousand words and then he can't speak anymore. Film being his like swan song to cinema or something bizarrely. 
Um, well, it is kind of the last thing he did. Swan Song, cool. perhaps being a bit generous. Um, <laughs> dying gasp. <laughs> yeah. The farting. You know, a corpses shit themselves when they die. That might be more apt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful metaphor. I haven't seen it. I'm just assuming. <laughs> I I have seen it because I thought that seems a weird concept. But it was fine. It was all right. I think whilst Eddie Murphy's still alive, you wanna you wanna you know he's your Harrison Ford to this franchise. Pull him well, in of course, yeah. But the thing is, you would have him in the film playing like a different character, but because he's covered in so much makeup, because he's such a good character actor, you wouldn't even know it was him. Um, so, Gareth, did you have any thoughts? Well, I, I, I kind of gave some thought to um, Beverly Hillbilly's cop and, <laughs> and having, having Granny saying, you know, what we're all thinking. But I, I, to be honest, I didn't get very far with this because I, 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 I never really watched Beverly Hillbilly's so I didn't really get any references. So. And what, what else can we do? The, the real housewives of Beverly Hills cop and it's not Eddie Murphy's nine wives <laughs> chasing, well, Hills... him, chasing after him for uh, child support. One of them's a dragon. <laughs> That's Mel B. Where did the where did the Beverly Hills XYZ naming convention come from? Is everything just referencing Beverly Hills Cop, or is that a reference to something else? Because you know Beverly Hills Ninja, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I think they're all after Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. Okay. I think Beverly Hills Cop set them set the mold. Beverly Hills Donkey. <laughs> Am I right, Shay? Can I can I pitch a real idea actually that I've just had what I think is the actual best way to do this? Okay. I think I think animated sitcom. I think comedy cartoon voiced by Eddie Murphy so you've got him in. Yeah, but it would be I think genuinely that would be really good. I think that would it would be the further adventures of the same character. So you're not you're not doing the cheap sequel thing of son of or prequel or any of that stuff or he's like way too old. You can keep it true to the original universe. And well, would you would you say in the eighties? Yeah, I think I think I think in this day and age, yeah, I think play up the nostalgia that comes with Beverly Hills Cop. Ignore the second and third film entirely. Set it like in the immediate aftermath of the uh, first one. Well, we do. We know Eddie Murphy's best work is as a voice actor now. Exactly. So yeah, good work. Are I think, all the voices think... done by Eddie Murphy, or do we have other characters? <laughs> He did do a series, actually, didn't he? He did um, the PJs for Fox, mm, yeah, if you've ever yeah, seen yeah. that. It wasn't amazing, but... Uh, so, you know, there's precedent for him doing this sort of thing. If they announced that, I'd be like, yeah. Are you aiming at a family-friendly audience? Though, no, going... no, no. It's probably going to be on Netflix. I think we should get Donald Glover to write it. <laughs> okay. Because his Deadpool series for Fox... He was writing an animated Deadpool series that was going to be like a an ongoing sitcom, and then Marvel didn't want to pick it up because it doesn't doesn't fit with their family friendly brand really, and Fox were like, "That's a shame. We would have had that." So just give him a new IP, Beverly Hills Cop, instead of Deadpool. It's vaguely in the same ballpark. They can probably work some of the ideas they had into it. Uh, yeah. All right. Anything else? Mike Myers does multiple voices in the Shrek films. You're saying he's going to come in for your animated show? No, but uh, Eddie Murphy only does one for Donkey. Who Who's the better master character actor, all right? Out of Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, and Dana Carvey, Master of Disguise. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> no, no, Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's probably better at the makeup, but he's always Eddie Murphy in yeah. makeup. <laughs> 
No, he has his stock characters. He has his like preacher guy. Uh, yeah, Shrek. Read the Bible, Shrek. <laughs> That's not what he does. What was uh? And then, then on the other hand, you've got Mike Myers. He can do Scottish ogres. Oh, he's always oh, excellent at Scottish song. He can oh. do Scottish fat guys. He can do <laughs> Scottish leprechauns. <laughs> he can do Scottish axe murderer. Yeah, axe murderer's the, dad. The dad of the yeah, one. yeah. I mean, it's a pretty good range. <laughs> Anything you want, as long as it's Scottish, he'll do it. They've they've had pretty similar careers actually, haven't they? Well, yeah, Saturday Night Live, and then Res- well, yeah, yeah. well-respected comedy, uh, very good comedy co- film career, and then downhill from there. W- increasingly watered down, broader, big character-driven. How many characters can we do in weird makeup? Then no, because Mike Myers was not... always a comedy character, a comedy character actor. Eddie Murphy was a huge bankable star. He was well, an was action a star. He was suppose, a star. Yeah. yeah, he and was. Then... Eddie Murphy was so much more mainstream than Mike Myers ever was, and it didn't last. Mainstream, more mainstream than yeah, baby, yeah, groovy, baby, definitely, definitely, yeah, because, yeah. because I'm, I'm, I'm because that was shagging, baby. Was, <laughs> Austin Powers was the big character, yeah, but Eddie Murphy was Eddie Murphy, and he was Eddie Murphy in all these films, and he was the star, he was the Hollywood star. Mike Myers was a comedy star. Scotty Dote. I don't know what that means. I love gold. <laughs> George Lucas was in Beverly Hills Cop 3 Steven Spielberg was in Goldmember The parallels are endless (sighs) Hello, I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode About at least a quarter as much as I enjoyed recording it. As ever, please do follow us on our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter. Head to our website, dimreturns.com. There's links to all our social media on there. And, you know, just just spread the word. Tell everyone, listen to this Diminishing Returns podcast. When, when you're in the office and people are looking for podcast recommendations, then go, hey, tell you what. I know this rip-roaringly hilarious show uh, where these people, they, they offer this really good film analysis. It's actually very insightful. And it's hilarious. And then maybe say, don't start at the beginning because the early episodes are a bit weak. Start with uh, one of the good ones like uh, Harry Potter or, or Fifty Shades of Grey or, or I don't know, what, what, whichever episode you like. I don't know. Make a playlist for them. Be like, hey, hey, guys. If you're romancing a, a young man or a young woman, then, then why not make them a retro mixtape to win their attention and subsequently their hearts? And on that mixtape, just, just put an episode of Diminishing Returns podcast on there. That'll take up the whole cassette and uh, they'll be like, wow, this person gets me. Anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. I think we're doing some some spooky stuff or something. I don't even know. I don't know. I'll have to check the calendar. Bye! Uh, I'm a white guy. I, I really respect the African-Americans. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> that was indistinguishable um, from your Jimmy Stewart impression. <laughs> well, there you go.
That's that's white man, isn't it? What more do you want? So, I like a gingerbread man personally, Shrek. 